hear the word of Almighty God. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Now a woman, having a flow of blood for twelve years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling before, down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Do not be afraid. Only believe, and she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go with him except Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, Do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. But he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, Little girl, Arise. Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately, and he commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. This is the word of our God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this, your word. We ask that your spirit would teach us in it. We ask that we would grow in our confidence in Christ, our faith, and in our peace in him. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, all, all of the Gospels have this strong emphasis on authority. We've been seeing that over and over. That's the whole point, is to remind us in the Gospels who Jesus is. And you can't 
know who Jesus is without having authority pushed in your face. And so the gospel writers go out of their way. We've seen it in a number of ways in Luke over the past year. That we've seen Christ's authority over demons time and again. He cast out the demons. Over health. Uh, He speaks or touches and people are healed from great diseases. Uh, He exerted it over creation. We saw when he rebuked the wind and the waves and they obeyed him. Uh, We even have seen him declare forgiveness of sins for uh, authority to forgive. As we get into the this section of Luke. Uh, Luke has moved from more a lot of general statements. He kept saying, uh, and everywhere he went, he healed and cast out demons. And we saw that for several chapters. Uh, now we have come to a place where Luke seems to be picking particularly powerful examples, as if to drive home the extent of the authority. For for example. Uh, we read that Jesus cast out a demon. We say, well, that may be well and good. But what if, what if an army of demons attacked Jesus? What then? And we, we looked at that last week, didn't we? Mark says 2,000 who refer to themselves as legion. That is the army, an army of demons. And it's, it just falls in front of Christ. There, there's no battle Christ's uh, authority is so great. There is no number you could list of the demon of hell that could defeat Christ. There's no number because his authority is so great. Uh, Similarly, we might think about healing instances. We might think of uh, small healings as being possible, but maybe there's a limit. With healing, well, in the medical profession, we think of time, don't we? We caught it in time. We, we didn't diagnose it in time. And so Luke now puts before us time itself in the healing of people. That there's a time when no physician, and, and Dr. Luke knows this, right? There's a time when no physician can heal certain diseases. And then, of course, there's a time when no physician can even lie to themselves about trying to heal a disease when one dies. And Luke puts before us time itself. Is Christ's authority, his ability to heal, limited by catching it in time? The answer, of course, is no. There's no time limit. On Christ. He has this authority. And this passage makes that point rather strongly. It's not the first time when Luke has made this point, by the way. We looked at a resurrection at the beginning of the summer, didn't we? That Christ raised a man from the dead. Uh, So it's not the first time that Christ's authority to heal is not limited by time itself. But here we find it. And in this passage, there are two phrases I'll draw your attention to before we start diving into the account itself. Two, two things that have to do with time. One of them is a, a word that Mark is obsessed with in his gospel and uses all the time. 
Uh, probably because Mark's gospel is based on Peter's preaching, and it was a, a Peter thing. And that is the word immediately. But, n- but notice how that appears. It appears three very clear times in this passage. Immediately, immediately, immediately. But it's a, that's, a, that's a short time, isn't it, right? Something happens. What's the time length between that and the reaction? None. There's no time in there. Uh, but there's another time indicator in this passage that precedes the immediately, and that is 12 years. And might we agree that when it comes to health, 12 years is a long time. So, so keep those two things in your minds as we think about this account. Twelve years appears twice and immediately appears multiple times. So twelve years. First, let's think about twelve years. Twelve years of joy coming to an end. It's really what we're hearing about when we hear of Jairus coming to Christ, isn't it? For twelve years... This elder of the synagogue has had joy when he sees his daughter, has had her laugh, has had her hugs, has had her in him, his life, he and his wife, 12 years of joy, 12 years of uh, presumably fairly ordinarily healthy childhood and joy that comes with that. Here he comes, this elder of the synagogue, an elder of the local body of believers, and he comes and he falls down before Christ to make his plea. Matthew tells us that it wasn't just falling down in desperation. Matthew gives us an indicator of how extreme this man's faith was in Christ. Matthew says he fell down and worshipped. I want you to think about what that says of his faith. Considering Christ has not yet died and risen again and ascended to glory. Considering most people think of him, even the apostles keep making this mistake of thinking of Jesus as just the greatest man the greatest man, the Messiah, but not understanding he's God. But this is an elder of the synagogue. One of his duties as an elder of the synagogue is to teach. There is only one God. You shall have no other gods before Yahweh. And you shall not bow down and worship any except Yahweh. That's one of his jobs as an elder. Matthew tells us, and Mark indicates, some of the people who were standing around when, in this great crowd, when this man fell on his knees and started worshiping Jesus, there were tax collectors and sinners, sure. There were disciples of John the Baptist, and there were Pharisees. There were fellow elders from the synagogue, probably, and certainly members of his synagogue, all of whom in this crowd 
might have responded by dragging this man away and stoning him for worshiping a man. They might have. He falls down and worships Christ. What does that say about his faith? This is a real faith here. Not something shallow. This is a real faith. This isn't a man who uh, just has heard that here is someone who can do some special miracle working and he'll try anything. No, this is a man with faith in the Messiah. And whether he fully has clicked in on what he's saying with this worship or not, he's saying the Messiah is God. He falls down, he worships Christ, he makes his plea that Christ would come and heal his daughter. Notice verse 42, his only daughter. So often in Scripture we hear that kind of phrase, only son, only daughter. And in all of the instances, only emphasizes not just the number, but also also how important this one is to the person of whom uh, the text speaks. Jarius has a, a great love for this only, only daughter. And he cries out to Christ. Not only that, this only daughter, according to Psalm 127, which was a dear text of the synagogue's saints, that this only daughter is a blessing, a gift from the Lord. Twelve years of blessing and now seemingly come to an end. That's the first 12-year marker. He comes, he makes his request, and Mark tells us immediately Jesus went with him. <laughs> immediately. Christ doesn't ask follow-up questions. They start. This is serious. She's dying. It's time to get there and heal her. Immediately Jesus left with him to heal her. But then, then the text tells us of another 12 years. 12 years of sorrow come to an end. Because while Jairus and his wife were finding joy in their daughter's life, there was suffering in the community. There was this woman who for the same 12-year period had a medical condition which would be painful and uncomfortable. I don't know how painful because I'm a guy. And Would it surprise you to hear male commentators don't say a lot about this condition she had? They wax eloquent for pages about leprosy and all these things. Just kind of leave this. This woman's in pain. But, but not just in pain, not just uncomfortable, not just, there, there's more. Ceremonially, this woman was cut off, cut off ceremonially from God, 
My emphasis there is on ceremonially. Please note that. I'm not talking about her heart condition before God. But in the eyes of the world, in terms of the open thing, the, the visible worship of God, she's cut off. And in terms of fellowship with others, she's cut off. Hear these words from Leviticus. Leviticus 15, 25 through 27. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, that's this woman, 12 years is many days, right? We, we can agree on that. Many days. If a woman has this condition for many days, other than a time of her customary impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies all the days of her discharge, that is, for 12 years for this woman, every bed she lay on, shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And whatever she sits on shall be unclean for 12 years. Everything she sat on was unclean. Whoever touches those things shall be unclean for 12 years. Whoever touched a chair that this woman sat on, a pillow that this woman reclined on, a rock outside, that she sat on for 10 minutes in the middle of a, a, a laborious day of work. Anyone who touched that rock, unclean. And when we hear unclean in Leviticus, remember, I, I know we've said this in Luke many times, because this is a big deal in Luke. Luke cares about ceremonial uncleanness because he wants to show you what Jesus does to it. But with ceremonially being unclean, you weren't allowed to go to worship. Some people at home today whom we're missing. You maybe have only been home just today. You haven't missed multiple weeks. And already you feel distanced, don't you? We have people in our church who have missed many Lord's Days, who have been shut in for a long period of time. And how they feel right? Donna just wants to be here, feels alone, distanced from us as a church family. We, we have to think outside of worship how to make her not feel distanced and alone and indeed probably <laughs> unclean, even though being New Testament saints, none of you who are sick at home or or, or Donna, or, or, or Barb, or whomever, uh, are, are unclean in that sense, right? It's different. We don't have that ceremonial thing hovering over us. And yet we, we can have the tendency to feel like that if we're just removed briefly from the worship of God's people. For 12 years, she wasn't permitted in a synagogue service. She wasn't allowed to attend the great feasts except for standing on the outskirts away from the worship and the fellowship. Again, this doesn't say where her heart was. In fact, our text tells us that while she was far from men, at some point at least during that 12-year period, her heart came close to God. Certainly when she reached out in faith and touched the hem of Christ's robe, she did so 
as one whose heart was close to God by faith. But outwardly, outwardly, this distance, this this severing, it seems that she's poured everything she owned into it. She seems to have been well enough off she could call in some physicians. And they all failed. They couldn't do anything for her. What a crushing 12 years. Same 12 years as the 12 years of joy down the road at Jairus' house. It's not a coincidence. And it's not a coincidence that Christ chooses to stop and make a big deal out of it. Does that perhaps seem as strange to us as it seems to the apostles? Jesus. Do you think any of the apostles might? I was thinking this morning. I wonder if any of the apostles were thinking, I, I just elbowed like five people in the past five minutes. Maybe I elbowed Jesus. Is he mad about that? What, what is this big deal? But I think something else is going on with the apostles seeming to challenge Christ on this as well. There's a little girl dying. Why are we stopping here to find out who elbowed you in a crowd? Her life is on the line. She's dying. Stop looking for someone to complain about and get over there and heal her. Something like that. Maybe not that uh, harsh. But, But they're confused, aren't they? Because there's a life on the line. And why would you care who elbowed you? Why does Christ stop? He doesn't need to heal her at this point, does he? He stops because he already healed her. He could have kept going, and she would have gone home healed. I think there's something very clear that Jesus is doing here. This woman has suffered alone. For 12 years. Is she going to celebrate alone? Jesus doesn't let that happen, does he? The angels in heaven celebrate over one lost sheep. Jesus isn't going to let this woman who has been healed and now is being restored to communion with the people of God, restored to public worship after 12 years, He's not going to let her bear any shame. Do you think some during that 12-year period thought, what did she do to be sick? Of course they did. We read it all over the Gospels. That's how they thought. Sadly, sometimes that's still how we think, isn't it? Maybe she thought that. What did I do? that led God to give me this sickness. Jesus won't let that stand. Jesus won't let her celebrate in solitude or bear any shame away from this day, but only joy. Joy in the salvation of God and the healing power of Christ. Indeed, he ties the healing to her faith. Why? To make a point to everyone. 
that her relationship with God is on a firm standing. Daughter, be of good cheer. You're not just healed. You're not just healed. You're healed and you may be at peace. You can have shalom, wholeness again. Twelve years of joy, twelve years of sorrow come to an end. Really, the twelve years of joy comes to an end in this moment, doesn't it? No sooner has Jesus given peace to the one than the, the messenger comes from the other and says, she's not just sick, she's dead. Look at what Jesus says to Jairus then. Do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. I, I didn't see this until this morning. So I'm not going to unpack this a lot, but I would encourage you to compare 48 and 50 with each other. Jesus, in each case, gives a sentence with three parts. I think there's probably some parallel going on. And some parallel that's intended to build up the faith of Jairus. To the woman, he says, daughter, be of good cheer. To Darius, I'm sorry, Jairus, he says, do not be afraid. There's a similarity there, isn't there? The middle part of each has to do with faith. Your faith has made you well. Then he turns to Jairus. Only believe. (laughs) Only have faith. See what happened to this woman. She had faith. She's well. Jairus, be like her. Have faith. And then the end part of both. He says to the woman, go in peace. You're complete. You're full. You're in shalom. To the the man, he says, she will be made complete or well. There's a parallel there. Jesus is building up the faith of the weak saint. By pointing him to what he just said to the healed Saint. Probably more could be said about that. But since it just came to me this morning, I'll let you think about it as I do as well. Jesus calls him to faith. You know, it's interesting because Matthew 9 shows us Jairus' response. Jairus says to Christ, according to Matthew, Come, lay your hand on her and She will live. That's faith. So they continue on their way. Not everyone in the community shares this faith. There are people who mock Jesus when he says she is not dead but asleep. Of course, Jesus isn't saying she's literally asleep and not actually physically dead. But we know he's not saying that because when he raises her... When he says, little girl, arise, we read, her spirit returned. Her soul had gone out of her body. She was dead. Jesus brought it back. Remember that question we started with? When is too late for the great physician to heal? When is catching it 
too late for Jesus. Her soul had already departed the body. Arise. And the soul returned to her body. And immediately she arose. See what type of authority Jesus has. Twelve years of sickness, but he speaks a word. All the physicians failed. He speaks a word. Immediately, the woman says, immediately I was healed. The girl dies. Jesus speaks a word. And immediately she sits up. Time holds nothing on Christ. And this should bring us hope. Now, Jesus Jesus isn't walking in the midst of our church doing miracles in the same way today, is he? We know that he can heal any whom he chooses. But we also know from the New Testament that he does not choose to heal everyone. And when he does heal, it doesn't tend to be It isn't, because he appears in your room and touches you. He does his work from his throne in heaven above, reigning over all things. He may heal, he may choose not to. Like Job, we have to have that right attitude of saying, blessed be his name. But this passage still can bring great assurance and hope to us. For, for one thing, it brings us assurance of the power of Christ when we watch others suffering for a long time. We know how our faith tends to be. And if we want to gauge how our faith is, how, just look at how our prayers tend to go. Someone gets a diagnosis. We all pray. What if... What if a year later they still have that diagnosis? They're still struggling with it. Are we still praying as urgently? What if 12 years later they still have a diagnosis? Um, I, I, was, I know that often we don't see that play out quite like that, but I believe it was eight years ago that many, many of us, our friend David Sund, eight years ago, received a diagnosis. It's not going to go away. We, we may not get updates regularly from him anymore, but unless he's miraculously healed by Christ, or um, unless some of the trial cases that they're doing on Wegner's disease suddenly bear grapefruit, it's not going away. That means we're four years away from 12 years of a brother in Christ suffering greatly from a disease. How often do we pray? I'll say for myself, I do still pray, but not as frequently as that first year we were praying from the pulpit, right? We should have encouragement in prayer that this Christ could still miraculously heal our brother. We ought to pray accordingly. 
if his will is to heal. It should give us encouragement. There's no time cap on when we pray for people. There is only one, actually. When they die, although it's not beyond Christ's ability to bring them back. When they die, Christ has made it quite clear in the New Testament letters, as well as simply by looking at history since then, that he will raise them on the last day. So once they die, we can stop praying for healing and look for the day when he will raise them from the grave and wipe the tears away one day. Christ has authority over time. We read in Ecclesiastes there's a time for everything. We also read in Ecclesiastes there's a time when he's going to put a stop to all those everythings. The, The pain and the suffering and the sorrow and the grief, he will wipe them all away in his time, in his time. And so we can trust that he does have this authority over our bodies and over sickness and over time. Or or we can take assurance from our passage here in terms of time when it comes to our spiritual health. Thinking of those sins that seem to overcome you again and again and again, where, where where you think, I'm never going to be free from this sin. And if it was just up to yourself, you're right. You would never be free from that sin. But Christ is not stumped because you happen to have been addicted to a sin, a slave of that sin, for 20 or 30 years. That doesn't stump him. Christ has the authority. As we look to him and seek his his work within us to free us, even as in his death and resurrection he has set us free from the rule of sin, so he can set us free from foolishly going back to the sin as if we were still slaves. That's the point of Romans 6, isn't it? That he does this. And that as we look to him and remember what he has done, he takes us and renews us by his spirit so that we are indeed not slaves of sin, but slaves of righteousness. It doesn't always feel like we're slaves of righteousness, meaning you wake up and you can't help yourself from doing righteousness. That's what Paul's saying, right? That you're acting as if you're still a slave to sin. You wake up and you go off to work for sin. It's the thing that feels natural to you. Romans 6 is telling us, but in Christ, the natural thing more and more ought to be the righteousness. Well, time maybe hasn't made you feel like that's worked as quickly as you thought it would. But time does not stop the Spirit from doing his good work in you. Christ is in control with a word. With a word, he can heal. With a word, renew. With a word, he forgives. And so we should have this same thought 
We should be like Jarius. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Only believe. And when you do, you may know exactly what that woman knew. Go in peace. The blessings.